welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. During a time of chaos, civil citizens will beg for authoritarian control to restore order. We must question, however, which entity is responsible for the deployment of the catalysts of chaos in the first place. And secondly, we must remember, as Benjamin Franklin once said, those who are willing to sacrifice essential liberty for temporary security will not have, nor do they deserve, either one. 2,000 years ago, people were waiting for a savior to restore order and establish true justice and order. Jesus was said to be the savior, the Messiah that would end the oppression and enslavement of many a people. He was to come full of might and power, maybe similarly to Thanos, perhaps? Shake his mighty messianic fist at the system and destroy the tyranny of the land. Maybe he'd snap his fingers and every enemy blows away in the dust, just like Thanos. Yet, Instead, Jesus chose to wield a sword of truth and love, and he forgave those who trespassed against them. He even asked God to forgive those that crucified him. Yet the citizenry is always crying out for a hero or a savior or some leader to end the chaos and produce order. Or some act as a hero themselves or a savior, the leader that's necessary to gain control, and restore order, since no one else is doing it. But here's the funny thing about order. It doesn't exist unless there's chaos. Why are we so scared of chaos? And why do we believe that order is always the best outcome? Why also have we not learned from our history? Every time we cry out for a leader or a king, we, the we of the humanity, realize what it costs us. We become the collateral damage. For every time we scream for control and order, we lose liberty, we lose freedom, and we surrender free will for the false comfort of safety and security. But you do realize that security and safety are merely illusions, right? No one on this planet can guarantee your protection from all harm, pain, and threats to safety. No one. But it's quite dumbfounding to see how many people raise picket signs, record videos, write blogs, introduce bills, demand that somebody provide just that and more for literally every single solitary person on the planet. People are asking for the prevention of all things happening and death. We want to prevent death all of a sudden. Death is the only certainty of life, and I thought everybody knew that, and things happen in life. 
uncontrollable events inject themselves into our existence and penetrate us with pain, traumatic memories, and challenging healing processes. We really are not safe and secure from anything or anyone, including ourselves. Consider how we don't even have safety and security from our very own thoughts. We create mental monologues that accuse, criticize, degrade, and judge the self. I am the greatest accuser of myself. I am the biggest critic of myself. I degrade myself more than anybody else. I judge myself and far more harshly than I have ever judged others. Judge not that ye not be judged, for with the judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. That's Matthew 7, 1 to 2. There's truth in that, is there not? More often than not, our own mind plays tricks on us. Our minds can lie to us, and we cannot protect ourselves from our own thoughts, especially when facing challenging or difficult situations. So for me, it's really a perplexing confrontation with truth, don't you think? It is a truth, and it's a truth that we often deny when we are faced with our inability to control the external reality. Despite our struggle with mental protections, we, as a citizenry, will demand that some external force gain control and restore order over an entire population. So I can't even control my own thoughts sometimes, but somehow there's a magical, messianic, authoritarian leader who's going to be able to control all people, right? Yeah. Why is it that what we're always demanding that some external force gain control and restore order over everything? Why are we always searching for an external entity to provide us with safety and security when we can't even provide it for ourselves? Why do we expect so much of others, so much control of the outside world, when we have so little expectations of ourselves and so little control over our own thoughts when we're challenged? Maybe it's that those who confront us with the realities of our own inability activate us. Deep within, maybe we feel overwhelmed. Maybe we feel called out. The reality of our inability to control externality kind of slaps us in the face. And rather than turning the other cheek in our overwhelm, we demand that someone else just fucking do something now about it. Fix it. That way I don't have to feel this threatened or this insecure or this unsafe anymore. Our activation demands that someone else takes action maybe authoritarian action, and that ends up not only punishing the enemy, but it punishes my neighbor and me too. I know that I get overwhelmed just thinking about how little I can protect my children when they're literally not in front of my face. I can't even protect my own son from falling off his bike while riding in between me and my husband. A couple weeks ago, I watched my son dive chin first, toppling onto his handlebars and then slamming into the pavement. He instantly cried. There was blood dripping from his chin. Both of his legs were skinned and bloody. His forearms were scraped. He was limping against me as I lifted him from the ground and sat him on the sidewalk. And then he stopped crying. I almost started crying. And then in a frantic reaction, I told my husband to just go get the truck because I didn't think our son was going to be able to get back up and ride his bike home. But he stood up, said, I got it climbed back on his bike, and started riding back home. And then in the midst of all this, I'm blaming myself because how come I couldn't stop that from happening? And then I caught myself, and I breathed in really deeply, 
and exhaled slowly. And I just kind of looked up and said, yeah, God, I know. I can't. I can't control this. The only way that I could have prevented my son from falling was to prevent him from riding his bike at all. Then he could fall in the yard. So then I'd have to prevent him from playing in the yard. But then he could fall in the pool. So then I'd have to prevent him from playing on the deck and outside altogether. But he could fall and get hurt just walking up the stairs. So then I'd have to prevent him from using the stairs. He could fall just walking. So now I'm going to have to stop him from walking. I'd have to take away all of his freedom. In order to keep him 100% safe and ensure that he doesn't get hurt, He'd have to lose all of his freedom to explore, to walk, to climb, to jump, to run, and to take risks. He wouldn't be able to ride a bike. Why would I do that to my son? Why do we ask that our government do that to other people? When I think about it, honestly, it's silly to expect 100% security and safety in any of our lives. It's not an unalienable right. We don't have a right to safety and security. We have a right to life. We have a right to our property that we own. We have a right to pursue what we want, but nowhere in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, or in any biblical doctrine does anyone guarantee safety and security. I couldn't guarantee the safety of myself, nor could my mother when I was 12, and I flew into a windshield. My 20-year-old son tried to kill himself back in March of this year. I couldn't stop that. My daughter, she almost died while giving birth to her son three years ago. And I couldn't stop any of that from happening. My grandson almost died, and my daughter couldn't stop that from happening to her own son. I couldn't prevent any of the horrible things that have happened in my life or to the lives of those who I love. But I question if I would have prevented all of it by canceling all of their freedom and autonomy and curiosity. Would I have ever been able to experience the abundance of love and joy and happiness and pleasure that I've experienced with these people? What if in our aims to prevent pain and danger, it also prevents joy and love, purpose, contentment? But then let's go back to this order and chaos thing. I question, without chaos, would we have order? Don't we kind of need the balance of both? I know some speculations suggest that chaos can be controlled, but I think that's an egoic sentiment, clearly. Sure, the empaths want to argue that we must try and prevent all things from happening to all people. But all this prevention, this bacterial prevention, this biological prevention, bigotry prevention, sold under the guise as protection. But I ask, at what cost? The freedom to venture beyond a bubble of a bedroom? Prevention and restriction are forms of control. And I don't think I quite understood what I was considering when I was hearkening back to blaming myself from not protecting my son from falling off the bike. Protecting the people that we love from experiencing harm and, and pain also means protecting them from experiencing the goodness of life. When we prevent and restrict, we constrict, as in choke out a life experience. And, and for what? What are we doing that for? The illusion of protection, the illusion of safety, the illusion of security. I mean, who is the guarantor of this immortality insurance, of this safety and security that we don't actually have a right to. Conflict and confusion are catalysts of chaos, and often these catalysts are orchestrated by a symphony of sects that have bigger plans for the greater good. 
as in the accusation, charge, and crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, various elite, powerful groups organized to effectively cancel Jesus out of the fear that he could lead a rebellion against any of them. Jesus threatened the power structures of his time. The religious and the Romans were growing their empires. Jesus threatened their security in establishing their agendas. Today, we see there are many powerful groups exerting a brute force of prevention and restriction in the name of safety and security. Despite the growing awareness that our society is realizing that nobody can really protect us from anything, especially COVID, not a vaccine, not a mask, nothing, our American population is suffering significantly financially, mentally, and relationally. Still, wealthy elites, political, celebrity, royal, well-to-do, and well-connected 1% communes are all interested in pursuing their own agendas. But we, the citizenry, are the only ones that stand in the way of that. Rather than sitting down and shutting up, as we've been taught in the public school institution, I think it's time we say, fuck that curriculum, and stand up and speak out. I think that's what Jesus attempted to instill, the truth of internal power within his teachings. I and the Father are one. This is a huge statement to make. It essentially acknowledges that I am God. It's a huge proclamation to make. And I know it seems far-fetched, maybe outrageous, maybe even egoic. But maybe that's because we've always thought that God was external, maybe bigger than me, outside of me, above or all around. But if God is for me, and God is also in me, then who the fuck can be against me? I can't prevent my son from falling off his bike again. But the beautiful thing is, is he already got right back up on his bike and started going out for rides again. It was three days, three measly days, and he was super excited to go on the bike. I was petrified. His father was fine. And he went on the bike. He paced himself. He took his time. And he practiced using his brakes because he hadn't really developed that understanding of using his brakes yet. See, although he's almost 11, this is the first time he's ever ridden a bike and it's a big adult tricycle bike and my son is autistic. And so teaching him has to be done differently and it requires a lot more patience. But what I am proud of is his courage. He knew what that pain felt like. He remembered that experience. We all have that wonderful ability to recall our memories. But the thing was, is he conquered that fear. And that's something that I think children excel at demonstrating to us and something that we're missing out in our American society right now. The courage to stand up and try again, even though we fell off our bikes. I mean, Biden knows all too well what it feels like to fall off your bike and get back up again, right? But anyway, I remember all the times that I fell off of my bike after my son fell off of his, and I thought about how kind of lucky he was, because the one thing my husband and I recognized in implementing this bike riding habit with our with our kids is that our parents never rode bikes with us, and so every time I fell off a bike and I got hurt, it happened quite often with no one else around, so I couldn't protect myself. There was no parent around to protect me. And I had to just get back up and keep going. I could have have prevented myself from ever getting hurt again on a bike. But then I could never ride a bike. I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is 
that even though that we see chaos taking place, even though pain, harm, threats to security and safety inundate us every day, we should not shelter ourselves and wall ourselves away from all possibility of infliction of pain because we would also be walling ourselves up and shielding ourselves from all potentiality of goodness and love and connection and joy and glory and understanding and grace and learning and discovering and being curious. And I just, I don't believe that's what we all really want for our society. I don't believe that in our proclamations and protesting and pontificating about needing somebody to do something that what we actually intend for is to control and isolate and lock everybody up. But that's effectively what happens every time we air our complaints and demand that our grievances be addressed in such a manner that it uses threat of excessive force or punishment or some kind of punitive consequence. I often think that we emotionally react to the injustices and the oppressions and the unfairness and the inequality and the just downright mean shit that we see taking place. And we just want it to end because it makes us feel something inside. But what I say to you is that when something activates a feeling inside, that you're trying to hurry up and get rid of, why don't you try sitting with it and understanding it and observing it, analyze it, right? Critique it, evaluate it, figure out why that activation creates such a surge of sensational emotions that all you can think of doing is ridding yourself of that and ceasing whatever activation or action caused that. Look, I'm not trying to tell you or compel you to ignore Real serious threats, obviously. But we're speaking about the rational reality that we all live in, right? We don't all live in a different subjective reality. There's an actual reality. And we need to be rational about it. And when we see chaotic things happening, let's first ask ourselves, is there already a natural order to this? Is this just a part of a process of natural order? There is also natural chaos, Now, if the question arises and your answer is somewhat different and you feel convicted and called to action to do something, can you do it without aggravating, assaulting, attacking, or employing violence against another person? Can you do it? And I mean even with your words. Look, and I'm not here to tell you words hurt, but we are violent with our words. We do not choose gentle words. We're not choosing mindful words. We're not choosing intentional articulation. We are, we are grasping at emotional, available vocabulary that's limited and narrow and, and spilling out with ignorance, if I'm being honest. We take cheap shots at each other. We don't have endearing, eye-opening, connected conversations or discussions anymore. We just fling fucking talking points and redundant rhetoric at each other. And 99% of the time, the shit we're repeating, that's not our own shit. Someone else's shit. We're flinging other people's shit at other people. Like, 
Think about how gross that is. Not only is it gross to take your own shit and hold it, but you're picking up someone else's shit, getting it all over your fucking fingers, and then tossing that shit all over other people. Like what? What? I'm not advocating that you go and throw feces at one another. We're not monkeys. But what I'm saying is, can we be impeccable with our word like Don Miguel Ruiz writes of in the, in the five agreements? Be impeccable with your word. Think about your words. If we think that our prayers, when organized in an order of words, has so much meaning and power behind it that God will hear it, why do we not also think that about the random words that we vomit out of our mouths every single day in defense of stupid socially constructed ideals and opinions and positions that really, honestly, have no fucking impact in our intimate internal atmospheres where we live, where we habitate with other people. Like, why can't we? It's so it's, I'm rambling now. This is what happens when I go off script. Anyway, my point here is there are so many demands out there, right? People, I want this. We need this. We need to institute this. We need to create this law. We need to pass this bill. We need this executive order. We need to ensure this. We need to provide that. We need to prevent this. We need to restrict that. We need to contain this, control that, constrict that. No, we need to mind our own business, okay? And again, I'm speaking to a rational audience. So when I say we need to mind our own business, no, I'm not saying we need to let horrible things happen. But I'm saying that if you are not being assaulted, if you're not being ambushed, if you're not being abused, if you're not being assaulted, if you're not being attacked, if you're not being held at gunpoint, you have to stop acting like other people holding an opinion is somehow a threat against you and your safety and your security. See, what's going on is is what I was talking about earlier is that mental monologue of that lying and accusing and judging and deceiving and degrading and criticizing that we do within our own minds. Those thoughts take, take, take captive every thought. It's like 2 Corinthians 10, right? Like 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, take that with the words of Don Miguel Ruiz in the five agreements. Originally, there was the four agreements, but then there became the fifth agreement. He wrote the book with his son. Anyway, go check it out, Don Miguel Ruiz, the four agreements, the fifth agreement. He talks about being impeccable with your word, understanding the power and intentionality of our words. Our words, when we speak them, right? They, we speak of the heart. Luke 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So like what we speak, and this includes what we type people, because I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe this needs to be stated. Maybe I need to state this for the record. So this is Luke 6.45. This is from the ESV version. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, so this is, this is that, going back to Don Miguel Ruiz, talking about being impeccable with our word, also thinking and considering the intentionality that we put behind our prayers, our mat our manifestations, right? The intentionality of our words. There's power in our words. We know that there's power in our prayer. 
but also in the keystrokes, okay? I think that we've come to some weird um, edge, and we've decided that, well, if I'm not saying it verbally, if I'm not speaking it, it's not the same. And so I can be the biggest asshole on the internet because I'm typing with my fingers or on a keyboard and I'm still a good Christian and I'm still obedient to the Bible and to the law and to God and that, oh, goodness still pours from my mouth. Bullshit. You're lying. That stuff is not pouring from your heart. Okay? That stuff is pouring from your heart, I should say. If it's coming through your fingertips, hello, hello, hello. We are erotic creatures. We are touch sense oriented creatures. Okay. Okay. So we're putting intentionality into our fingertips. Don't play that game. Don't try and separate yourself and act like it's okay to deploy such disgusting ways of dialoguing with people on the internet. Okay. We need to be intentional with our word. We need to recognize how much power is in what we say, what we type what we express. And is that what we're expressing about ourselves? Is that depicting who we are? The way we engage people, that's an extension of who we are. Now, it could be an extension of your habit, but I mean, are you are you taking every thought captive? Or are you trying to take other people captive? I mean, that's, that, that, that's the question I want to leave for you here today. I, I want to end this rambling. Um, But that's the question I leave for you today. So remember to subscribe to the Recorded Conversations podcast. And as always, listeners, I just thank you for compassionately considering the perspective of me today. And until next time, take care.